Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I'm joined again today by Joe Annity and Austin Pine. It's good to be here with you guys again. Yeah, always good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah. So today we are continuing our discussion about Calvinism. In the last episode, if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, I'd encourage you to go check that out. We discussed some common misconceptions and kicked off a first things first sort of approach, which we're going to continue in today. So let's jump right in. Let's do it. Why? Let's, let's just talk about this. Why, um, why are we doing these episodes devoted to first things first? Why don't we just jump into the five points of Calvinism? Yeah, I think that's a good thing to address um, right here at the outset because, um, you know, I think partly one of the reasons why we do run into so many issues with people um, just finding difficulty in understanding the doctrine of uh, Calvinism or these five points of Calvinism is because we kind of skip over some of the fundamental, um, the foundations that, you know, things like uh, where are we looking to for our um, ultimate authority in um, in this and yeah, so, I mean, that's probably the next place that we should go to or, or where we should really start with. What What is our authority for truth? Yeah, I think that's one of the most you know, basic questions that we can ask, you know, is uh, where are we looking for uh, answers to these questions concerning how salvation works? You know, um, I think a lot of times people are disagreeing with one another over these doctrines, but they never stop to ask that most fundamental question first. Are, are we even looking to the same thing? Are we even looking at the same thing for our authority for truth? And as Christians, I think we assume that we are, you know, Yeah. but that's one of the things that has to be wrestled with. Are we really uh, looking to the same thing or in the same place for, um, you know, our authority for truth? And the answer that we need to give as Christians is that um, God is our authority for truth. He is our our supreme authority for truth. We're to listen to him, um, and I think it's important to use these very basic categories that we get from systematic theology, right? That God has revealed himself uh, really in two ways, through general or natural revelation, uh, through the world around us, and also through special revelation. Uh, God has spoken to us specifically concerning himself. Um, and and so it's important to make that distinction um, that when we look at the world around us, the stars and the sky and trees and all of this and human beings or whatever, uh, certain things are, are made clear to us about God. I mean, there's certain truths are communicated there, but, um, but God has also spoken. He has given us his word. And when it comes to that special revelation, uh, we need to also confess that God has, um, delivered that special revelation to mankind in a variety of ways throughout human history. You know, we, we kind of take it for granted, don't we, that, we have the scriptures, and so, I mean, quite honestly, when, when we ask what is our um, authority for truth, the first answer we usually want to give is um, the Bible, right. the scriptures, right. which is true for us today, but it's more accurate to say that God is our authority for truth. He's revealed himself in nature. He has revealed himself in special ways, too, and he, and he has delivered that special revelation to us in a variety of ways throughout human history. And that's what Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 uh, is really getting at. One of you guys want to read that, uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2? Sure. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed who whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world right so the point there is that um you know in many times in, in different times god has spoken to us and, and he's done so in a diversity of ways and so that's pretty easy to to see if we just think about the history of redemption and god spoke with adam and eve in the garden in a, in a very particular way you know there was no scripture uh, there I, I hope we would all agree upon that and he came to abram and called abram in a very particular way and the scriptures weren't written at that point it wasn't till after these great acts of god condescending or coming down and revealing himself to man that the scriptures began to be written and moses started to write scriptures uh, giving us a written record of the things that God had done in in human history, you know. Um, so, so that's kind of the pattern that we need to follow. We need to see that there is this pattern in the history of redemption where God acts or God speaks, God condescends, comes down, makes Himself known in human history. I think that's the unique th- unique thing about Christianity and the God of the Bible. We, we believe in a God who engages us in human history, and then. Those those acts of God are inscripturated. They're written so that we have access to them. We have record of those acts mm-hmm. preserved for us in every age. And so that's the pattern that we see. Uh, I think, you know, you, you only have to think about um, all that led up to the Exodus, to the days of Moses, and to understand that that all happened, you know, uh, prior to the writing of Scripture and the Scripture was written. And so the Exodus was a great act of God, a great act of deliverance. And it was after that that scripture began to be written. And then you see the same pattern where Christ comes and he um, accomplishes the greatest act of redemption. And it's after that that the New Testament scriptures are written, both telling us of, of his coming and making application of it to the church. You know, so, so what I'm getting at is this. I know it's a long-winded way to you know, get to the point. God is our authority for truth. That's the proper answer. But for us today who live in this time after the Messiah has come, the scriptures are our only authority uh, for truth. We look to them. Um, it, 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 the scriptures are the thing that tell us of God's greatest act of condescension, that is the coming of the Christ, the Messiah, who is the eternal word of God in the flesh. You know, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, 1 and verse 14. Um, so, so that's the point. I, I mean, the answer to the question, where do we look for truth, is the scriptures. And that's what the um, first line of our confession says. The London right. Baptist Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 1, the Holy Scripture is the only certain, excuse me, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all, saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. So we got to start there. Right. Right. Um, this the, the doctrine of of salvation, Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. They're difficult in, in some ways, but we got to start there by at least confessing together that our objective is to look to the scriptures and to say what do they say concerning these things. Right. Right. So scriptures are authority, and so let's dive into why are the scriptures necessary? Can't we discover? Because we talked about you know God has revealed Himself in, in nature as well, but so why can't we discover God by way of of the light of nature? Yeah, well, as we, you know, hinted at, as Joe, you said, the made the distinction between general and special revelation. Um, special revelation is very necessary. Uh, and there's, you know, a couple of reasons for that. And one being just that we are 
creatures. Uh, in the, in the beginning, um, was the word. And so even Adam and Eve in the garden, right. They being creatures of the creator, uh, God had to walk with them and disclose himself to them. Right. In a personal sense. Well, I think that's a good point. Um, I think a lot of people assume that, um, you know, if because Adam and Eve were perfect in the garden, that they had this ability to actually look around at general revelation, at nature, and interpret it properly and find their way to God or something. In other words, another way to state it is I think a lot of people think that special revelation was only necessary given the fall, right? Because Adam and Eve were fallen, then all of a sudden they were in need of spe- special revelation, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, God had to reveal himself specifically to Adam and Eve, even in the garden. Just take, for example, the instruction he gave them concerning the way to life. Uh, Adam and Eve could not have looked around at the trees in the garden and discerned for themselves that this one was good and this one was bad and this one was to be eaten of and this one was to be forsaken. That right. command had to be given, right? So just given the fact that they were creatures of the creator necessitated that God would come down to them and reveal himself to them. Yeah. And yet in that, you know, uh, finite state, we have then dug ourselves in a deeper ditch because we are now uh, fallen, right? We read the scriptures and understand that we are dead, blind, crooked, perverse. Um, yeah, f- uh, f- we've all, like sheep, gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. Uh, no one seeks God. There's just a, a slew of um, issues that the fall has brought on to us, as you understand. Right. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we were in need of special revelation in the garden. How much more so? now that we have rebelled against God mm-hmm. uh, because we have uh, minds that are now bent towards evil instead of towards God. So we, we, we misinterpret whatever revelation comes our way even more so. And that's what Romans 1 oh, yeah, it's talks exactly, about. Exactly what I was thinking. Um, I think it would be good just to read it, uh, starting with verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's what we do with truth, mm-hmm. you know, in our... Uh, fallen state, we suppress it. Uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So there's a point being made here by Paul that certain truths are, are, are um, made um, plain by God in the created world, um, so much so that we are without excuse, but the thing that we do with it is we suppress that in our fallen state. We push mm-hmm. it down. We find ways to deny God, and we see people doing that around us all the time, right? Even though the creation mm-hmm. screams out, there is a God who ought to be worshipped. He is powerful and glorious, right? Uh, people will do anything they can in order to explain explain God away. Uh, so we are without excuse, Romans tells us, And it goes on saying, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And it goes on from there. But that's that's an important principle. Uh, We needed special revelation even in paradise, even in perfection. But how much more so? Because general revelation, which is what Romans 1, 18 through 23 that's what it's talking about. Uh, we just we jack it up all the more. You know, we distort it, we mm-hmm. suppress it, we push it down, given our fallen hearts. Um, yeah, there's a third reason too. I think I don't know if you want to introduce that, Austin, but uh, why it is that we need special revelation. 
Yeah, well, I, the third um, principle is just the general or natural revelation. Uh, even if we were to interpret it properly, only reveals general things about God. Um, so it's it's not necessarily salvific in the way that we look around at the world, right? You see the stars, you see the, the beauty of nature. Uh, it's not revealing our necessity of a savior necessarily or who that savior is. And so it's, it's general in the sense of God's, uh, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, um, have been clearly perceived as, you know, the language of Romans one puts it, but, uh, it's, it's still not enough. It's enough to condemn us in a sense, right. right. To convict us of, of where our worship ought to be directed. And yet it's not enough to, I guess, uh, direct us to that yeah, yeah. pure uh, uh, person of worship. We, we were talking about this concept with our junior high youth at, at one of our gatherings just a couple of weeks ago, and I just made the point. I said, okay, imagine you're look. you know, we've all been camping, right? Imagine looking up at a, a beautiful starlit sky. What can you know by looking at that starlit sky, you know, about God? And the kids all say, well, that he exists and that he's big and that he's powerful. Okay, it's true. You know, the stars can tell us that. But but then I asked them the question, is the gospel in the stars? You know, is the cross of Christ in the stars? Is Jesus there? Can you understand the things about him? And they were all quick to admit, no, not not at all. You you can't you can't discern the gospel. You can't understand the gospel by staring at a starry sky. And and the point that we're trying to make here, to bring it all back to the conversation about Calvinism, okay, is that when we're talking about Calvinism, we're talking about the doctrine of salvation, and we're asking the question, how does salvation work? How does it work exactly? And so many people, I think, like to look to the world around them uh, or inwardly to themselves for answers to that question. But for the three reasons we just mentioned, given that we are creatures, given that we are fallen, and given that general revelation has its limitations, we're not going to find the proper answers to this question there. I'm telling you, I've, heard, I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, about Calvinism, and so many do this very thing. They start to say things like, well, I feel. You know, they base their opinion on these things upon their, their emotion. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, God has given us the gift of human re- uh, reason and, and logic, and according to my reason and logic, I come to these conclusions, you know, and they reject the doctrine of predestination or something or effectual calling according to that. And they claim to be Christians, too. And what I want to say to them is, you know, what I do say to them, if I have the opportunity, is that you're you're looking to the wrong place. You have a wrong priority given to general revelation over and against special revelation. You've got it inverted. What is our authority for truth? God is. He's revealed himself in two ways, general revelation, special revelation. But special revelation always takes precedence and is to be given a higher priority over and against general revelation. All truth is God's truth. They should all be saying the same thing, of course. Uh, but we're to give preference to what the the, the Holy Scriptures uh, reveal to us uh, in the end. Um, a question I would ask is, you know, brother, <laughs> sister in Christ, you know, who I'm talking with. Um, do you do the same thing with the doctrine of the Trinity? You know, just look at the world around you. Can you figure out that God is triune? Or if you depend upon your own emotion or human reason, are you going to come to the conclusion that God is triune? 
one God eternally existing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Uh, what about the deity of Christ? Are you going to be able to figure out how it is that the divine nature and the human nature are united uh, without confusion in one person? I, I don't think so. Even things as central, and those are very central, uh, you know, of course, but even even things like our view on the atonement, the penal substitutionary view of the atonement, which is crucial to the Christian faith. Are you going to be able to figure that out by your own human reason? It's like all these core doctrines that are hard for us to understand, we believe them and confess them because the scriptures clearly teach them, whereas we would not believe them if the scriptures didn't clearly teach them, right? Right. And and we fully believe, you know, kind of to sum this up, the scriptures are authoritative, perfect, and clear, and we're going to discuss those three things mm-hmm. as we go on. Um, so let's jump into that first one. Why do we view the scriptures as authoritative? Well, I love this point because it goes back to what we've been saying already that um, we look to the scriptures because they are given the authority of God as God is the authority, right? So God is our ultimate authority, and yet we look to the scriptures to discover what God has revealed uh, in that special sense of uh, being his revelatory word. Uh, but they're just that. They are the words of God. And so Second Timothy 3.16 is a central scripture here that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, uh, that the man of God be complete or equipped for every good work. And so it's um, breathed out in, in the sense that God's words are... Um, directly from him and they come out with the same power that they did at creation right that Mm -hmm. god spoke creation into existence i like to think of it that the same power that's there is the same power that's breathed into scripture right someone asked me the other day so how exactly did that happen actually someone was concerned that i spoke about the scriptures as the word of god because what they heard me saying was that maybe the bible was dropped down you know by a rope from heaven (laughs) <laughs> from God or something, you know, or that God literally wrote the words. Didn't the, didn't human beings write the Bible? And, and yeah, of course, that's what we believe. We, we say that this is the word of God, but we say that because we believe that God inspired human authors to write it, which is what that Second Peter uh, one twenty one passage says so clearly. Mm-hmm. Peter says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. People didn't just sit down and decide to write these things or to speak these things on their own authority, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So just as a, a, a boat is driven, you know, as the sail is filled with the wind and it's pushed along. So to the writers of scripture or the prophets of old were, were compelled by God. And I think that happened in a variety of ways. You know, mm-hmm. if you know anything about you know, various scriptures and, 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 and how these words were received, um, this happened in a variety of ways. But the point being made here is that the scriptures are authoritative because they are the words of God. If they are the words of God, then we are to treat them as our supreme authority. And I think there are evidences in the the, the scriptures. Um, not only uh, do the scriptures blatantly say um, that the scriptures are inspired and from God, but there are evidences of you know our heroes uh, considering the scriptures as such. Um, for example, Jesus viewed the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God and authoritative. Jesus himself did. Can you guys think of any examples? What, what comes to mind most readily uh, concerning well, this in, principle in here? The temptation uh, after he fasted, right, for 40 days in the desert, he answered the serpent and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Um, right. And, right. And, be, even Jesus himself, the eternal word of God, says, it is written. Uh-huh. You know, so he doesn't even rebuke uh, Satan on his own authority necessarily. He actually uh, rebukes Satan by using authoritative scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We see this evidence, too, with the apostles, that they viewed the Old Testament scriptures as the word of God. And I, I don't even know if we have to give examples of this, because I think the whole New Testament is just filled it's, right. with examples of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gospels preach from the Old Testament in the book of Acts. Um, the, the epistles are just filled with principles from the Old Testament and so on and so forth. Um, well, and there's even the example later on of uh, Peter calling or comparing uh, Paul's letters to uh, to that same level of authority as the Old Testament in Second uh, Peter three sixteen when he says there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Go figure. Even Peter had a hard time understanding Paul, mm-hmm. uh, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Right. So it's putting Paul or Peter's putting Paul's letters right on that same. Uh, level of prophetic authority that the Old Testament prophets spoke with. And that's key. That's a, Mm -hmm. you know, that's very important. We can see that the early church certainly viewed the New Testament as authoritative, but this is a gift to us that we see that Peter, the leader of that apostolic band, uh, looked at Paul, who was kind of a latecomer to the game, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And said, his writings are scripture. They're twisting his writings as they do the other scriptures. In other words, they're both scripture, and, and the false um, uh, teachers are twisting them both. That's a real gift to us. There's plenty of evidence that Jesus and the apostles viewed the Old Testament as inspired and authoritative as the Word of God. Um, but but here is evidence that even the apostles themselves looked to the other apostles as if they were writing uh, scripture. Um I like what the London Baptist Confession says in paragraph 4 of chapter 1, 2. It makes this point very succinctly. It says, The authority of the Holy Scripture, for which it ought to be believed, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received because it it is the word of God. the, The confession gets to this point that the scriptures are authoritative because they are the word of God. They are the word of mm-hmm. God. Right. Well, we discussed, you know, we're discussing the scriptures are authoritative, perfect and clear. We just went over why it's authoritative. Let's go now to um, what do we mean when we say the scriptures are perfect? Yeah, perfect in the sense that uh, I think we could mention a couple things. They're infallible. They're inerrant. Um, and they uh, they contain all things necessary for uh, life and godliness. And um, he, he, I don't know, we could kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's tempting to dive into this. Um, it's tempting to really dive into this in an in-depth way. But, of course, this is on Calvinism. You know, it doesn't feel like it. But th- this isn't on uh, the, the, the inerrancy of Scripture here. Again, so we have this to... is the first things first thing. This yeah. is why we have to cover this before we jump into the... We have, to get, be, we have to be careful not to go too deep on this point. But this is our belief that the Scriptures are infallible. They do not mislead us. They're inerrant. They are without error as they were originally given. And they do contain all things so necessary for life and godliness. They're perfect in this way. And really, if you think about it, I mean, just to say something brief about this on this point, um, this idea that the scriptures are perfect is very closely tied to what we've just been discussing, that the scriptures are the word of God. 
if they are inspired by God, if they are the word of God and carry that authority, then would we not also assume that they communicate truth in a way that is effective? Uh, should we not assume that God is a good communicator? If he determined to give us his word, would he not do it in such a way that is effective? Those who claim that the Bible is the word of God but then deny this doctrine of the inerrancy of God seem to be very inco- very inconsistent to me. They, they're basically saying this, God wanted to give us his word, but he was really bad at it. He was bad at giving it in the beginning, perhaps that's their view, or he was bad at preserving it for us so that now what the church has is nothing of value, right? Um, what they have is a flawed Bible, and I think that's absurd. Right. Um, the scriptures claim to be the word of God, and, and um, they also claim to be without error. They claim to have all things necessary for life and godliness. A point that could be made here, I guess, is just this, that there are plenty of things that the scriptures don't tell us that we would probably want to know, right? There, there, there are hidden things. Um, what he has revealed belongs to us, but the hidden things belong to the Lord. There, there are things that we would really like to know that God has chosen to not reveal to us for whatever reason. We need to be content with that. And we need to look carefully at what he has said, and we need to honor it, seeing that it is authoritative, it is the word of God, and it is, it is perfect without, without error. So the scriptures are authoritative, they are perfect, and now we're going to jump in. What do we mean when we say that the scriptures are clear? Because, I mean, there's that argument, right? You know, yes, um, you know, the scriptures are uh, authoritative, they are perfect in that they are uh, inerrant, infallible, but maybe we can't understand them. Yeah, and I think that's that's definitely an objection that I've heard raised that um, God is outside, he's he's bigger, he's infinite. How can we understand? We, we can't understand everything that he's revealed to us in our um, in our finite state, but I think that going back again to the confession in chapter 1 discussing uh, doctrine of scripture, it says all things in scripture are not alike plain in themselves nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in this, in some place of Scripture or uh, or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of ordinary means may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. Uh, so it's 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 affirming right some of those people's objections that. Um, some things are more clear than others, right? But even even the learned and the unlearned can come to a, a clear understanding of what uh, has been um, revealed to us concerning salvation. Mm-hmm. And so, the very central doctrine of uh, salvation, was, which is largely what Calvinism deals with, is right. made clear to us. Well, I believe that is true. That this is a this is probably one of the most important doctrines of the Reformation. Actually, if you go back to the Reformation period. Um, before that, you'll, you'll hear the church, uh, the, the Roman church, insisting that, well, the scriptures are unclear and common man shouldn't really have access to them. You know, definitely not the unlearned, which in, mm-hmm. in this context is referring to those who were illiterate. Uh, learned and unlearned corresponds to literate and illiterate. Um, and so that was the belief that the Bible was just mysterious and only the trained professionals can handle it. And even they, you know, had trouble on, on, on points. And, and so this is the doctrine of the perspicuity of scripture or the clarity of scripture, which I think was at the heart of, of the reformation. It's this insistence that no, mm-hmm. 
the, the Bible is clear. It communicates effectively. And again, this comes back to the idea that it's inspired by God. Is God an effective communicator or not? Has he given us a book that can be clearly understood? Or has he given us a book that's just filled with gibberish? And I would hope we would all admit that if God is determined to give us his word, he has given it to us in a way that can be understood. Right. And, and you, you touched upon it uh, introducing this, Austin, that people will often say, well, God is beyond us and we cannot understand him. There's truth to that. But we have to, we have to draw a distinction uh, between the concept of mystery, you know, those things that are beyond our ability to comprehend, and things that are unclear, right? There, there's a difference between the two concepts oh, here. Absolutely. Yeah. And what we have to admit is that there's a lot revealed to us in God's word that's perfectly clear. It, it, it's just there, right on the page, you know. And I think Calvinism, the five points of Calvinism, are one of those things. You know, I, I don't think this is one of those places where Christians can raise their hands and object, saying, nope, nope, let's not talk about this and let's not come to any firm conclusions on it because it's not clear in Scripture. I, I just don't buy that. Um, it's talked about so often. In the scriptures, and it's spoken of with, with such clarity. Now, eventually, we'll move beyond this whole first things, uh, you know, series, and get into uh, the doctrines of grace themselves. And what we'll do there is we'll just go over many scriptures that that um, support um, each one of these each one of these doctrines. So, the doctrine of the perspicuity of scripture, just to make it clear, the doctrine of the clarity of scripture, is not saying that all passages are equally clear. When you read certain portions of, I don't know, maybe Genesis or the book of Leviticus, I mean, there are some there where you're like, what in the world does that mean? And commentators and interpreters of the Bible have a tough time with that. That's true. Uh, we, we do see that there is a need for men to study the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew, so that they can interact with the original languages. We're admitting that teachers are needed in the church. God has given the church teachers. Um so all of those things are true, but the point is that the gospel is clearly stated in the scriptures. You know, Yes, Peter said that it, some of Paul's writings are difficult to understand, um, but that doesn't mean that the scriptures are filled with things that are um, unclear uh, through and through, right? Um, even the learned and unlearned can understand these things through the due use of ordinary means. And, and what that is saying is that through Bible reading, through prayer through attendance at church on the Lord's day and listening to preaching. Um, the message of the Bible can come through clear as day, right. you know? Yeah. Well, so, you know, let's bring this to a, to a conclusion here. How does this all apply to our conversation about Calvinism? We kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's just ask that question and kind of summarize. Well, I think the point of it all is that, um, the reason we're Calvinists is because the scriptures have compelled us to be so. You know, again, we spoke about this a little bit last time, yeah. you know, in terms of if it's good to take the label Calvinist. Um, and what I said, at least, is that for me, it just seems unavoidable. The label is helpful because it communicates a whole lot in a really brief period of time. You say Calvinist and you know what it means, or people know what that means. Uh, but again, it, it's not that we've been compelled by John Calvin. It's that we've been compelled by his interaction with the scriptures, his exegesis of the scriptures along with m many others. So the scriptures are our authority for truth. Uh, we believe that they're necessary. We would not believe these things if we were left to ourselves. We believe the scriptures are authoritative. So what God's word says, we had better believe because they are the words of God. 
Uh, We believe that the scriptures are perfect. They're without error. They do not mislead us. They speak truth to us. And I I think this is a big point to be made. We believe that the scriptures are clear. Um, We believe that they're clear. And um, I think one of the things we're going to try to do is to make a very strong case in the weeks to come. Um, Once we finally get into the five points of Calvinism and start engaging with scripture text, we're going to try to make a very strong case that this doctrine is clearly set forth in scripture. It cannot be relegated to the realm of mystery or, or obscurity. You know, it it is just, it permeates uh, the pages of of God's holy word. So we had better, we had better believe it as Christians. Yeah. That's the point that we're trying to make here, I guess, in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could call ourselves Calvinists, but that, that might be so because we, could also call ourselves biblicists right that we right stand on the authority of scripture first and that our interpretation of it right and looking to it as the authority and um as god's perfect authority and a clear clear yeah. um understanding it's it points to this um means of salvation that god has granted us yeah the yeah and i think we talked about this in the last episode the problem with the term biblicist is that everyone claims it course right yeah. I, I met with uh, uh, some Jehovah's Witnesses at a kingdom hall a few weeks back and that was that that's what they led with we, we believe the Bible only we're biblicists I mean they talked about it constantly so everyone claims it um, the question is have we been faithful to the text of scripture to the clear teaching of scripture that's the real question that's why we eventually have to dig into these doctrines and really uh, work to to demonstrate these doctrines from from God's holy word. Yeah, and our argument would be that these things are clearly stated there. We'll get to it eventually, but th- this is good. We're setting the stage. We're um, we're dealing with first things first. So. Right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, if you haven't listened again, go ahead and check out the first episode on uh, on this on this topic. That's going to be about probably seven or so. We're not entirely sure, but about seven probably um, part series on Calvinism. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Confessing the Faith. Mm-hmm.